0: To celebrate Earth Day, I'm revisiting a previous episode that really spoke to me, episode number four with Dr. David Katz. In this episode, he says, if I had to pick one patient that matters most, it's the planet. And he explains how swapping out meat most of the time is one impactful way to help care for it. Listen, Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. David Katz, a globally renowned expert in disease prevention, health promotion, lifestyle medicine, and nutrition. He's the founder and former director of Yale University's Prevention Research Center past president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and president and founder of the nonprofit True Health Initiative. The one thing he says we can do to improve our well-being is to swap out beef most of the time. It doesn't have to be all of the time. He explains why it can make such a difference and gives realistic and delicious ways to make it happen. Dr. Katz, thank you so much for being here today. It means a lot to me.
1: Well, Ellie, it's such a pleasure. Thank you.
0: And I have to just gush a little bit about how much I admire you by way of introduction here. I can't resist to take a minute to do this, but I've really long looked to you as a reliable source of information on cutting edge issues in nutrition and health And I always count on you. I know you do your research. I know you give a balanced perspective and analysis. And I know you steer clear of dogma. And those things are so important to me. And so I think often lacking (laughs) in our field that I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. Um, And also how much uh, how proud I am to be a part of your true health initiative, which is all about fighting fake information and goodness knows there's plenty of it out there, but also it's about highlighting consensus among health experts, among the many health experts, and there's so much consensus. And I I don't want to get off track talking too much about that. Maybe we can come back and talk about that another time, but I just wanted to put it out there for people to check out the True Health Initiative um, website, which I'll have a link to um, on my website. So
1: Excellent, Ellie. Well, Well, first of all, thank you for the very kind words. They're greatly appreciated. We're really proud to have you on the the Council of the True Health Initiative. I think you represent beautifully everything we stand for. And and as you say, there really is tremendous consensus among genuinely expert, genuinely sensible people about the fundamentals of food as medicine, diet and lifestyle for the addition of years to life, life to years, And, and by the way, for helping to save the planet too, all of that. And yet that very rarely gets attention in pop culture because discord is much more titillating. It's much more entertaining to bring on two experts who don't agree about anything or seem not to. But you dig beneath that superficial layer of argument and say, what are the fundamental components of a healthy, balanced, sustainable diet, good for lifelong vitality and massive accord uh, around the world. And very proud to have you as part of the group representing that. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And I think one of the things that, more and more people are agreeing on um, is your one real good change that you've highlighted that we're talking about today and that is to swap out beef most of the time. And you say that this is critical and I agree for both personal and planetary health which are integrally entwined. And uh, can you enlighten us a little bit more about why how why this is such an important change to make? at this time, let's do it now. Let's do it this week. Let's do it today. Yes. And, and, you
1: know, frankly, it's a really important issue this time. Uh, What's good or bad about nutrition is always bounded by prevailing epidemiology and context and the specifics of a population. So, you know, for instance, in in a place where people are still subject to protein deficiency and, and sadly that does still happen in the world, Horn of Africa, Sudan, uh, more meat would be a good thing. And, and frankly, some of the meat the world produces should be sent there because there it can alleviate real harm. But the times we live in are a time of 8 billion hungry homo sapiens on the planet, a time of climate change, a time of melting ice caps, rising seas, diminishing biodiversity, deforestation. These are our times. And if ever you're going to address the imperatives of health, you have to do it in your own context. I was asked a few years ago at in an interview with NPR, how bad really is red meat? That was the question. That, that, that was the headline. And when they ran the, the interview, that's what it was called, how bad really is red meat? And I said, well, you know, if you, if you speak to some of my more ardent colleagues, they will want to talk to you exclusively about saturated fat and, and tell you why red meat is a source of saturated fat. Saturated fat is the root of all dietary evil, and here's why. But that's not me. And if you talk to others of my more ardent colleagues, they'll want to talk to you about animal protein exclusively and tell you why that is the root of all dietary evil. And here's why, but that's also not me. My view is that we have diets that tend to be excessive in animal food and deficient in plant food. And these are trade-offs people make. One of the questions that often drops out of nutritional epidemiology is instead of what? So people who eat more meat first of all it tends to be pretty bad meat right it's often highly processed you know we're not talking you know lean game we're talking you know hamburgers and hot dogs and pepperoni and so forth and it knocks out of the diet beans and lentils and whole grains and vegetables and all the other things people might be eating so it's not just the direct harm of saturated fat or animal protein it's it reverberates through the whole dietary pattern. So yeah, you know, sure, I think that's bad because imbalance is bad and our imbalance is already in the direction of too much animal food, too few whole plant foods, eating more meat exacerbates that imbalance. But for me, to answer that question, I want to look through three lenses, not just what are the direct effects on human health, but what are the effects on planetary health? And frankly, I think that's my greatest priority these days. If I had to pick one patient that matters most, it's the planet, because there are no healthy, vital people who don't have a healthy, vital planet to call home. And, and so, you know, frankly, that's that, that's the imperative that looms greatest in this time. And then the third is, what is the net effect of how we treat our fellow creatures who also have a right to live their lives? Looking through three lenses, my answer was, well, you know, pretty bad, because it's very clear from the environmental scientists I've spoken to, and, and we have many of those too on the True Health Initiative Council, They're world-leading experts in the environmental impact of, of behaviors and diet. Very clear from their perspective that beef is almost off the charts with regard to environmental footprint uh, in two areas that matter most. And there are others too, but the two that matter most are greenhouse gas emissions, where it, it's actually, you have to put beef on a log scale to compare it to almost anything else. I mean, it, 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 the, the production of beef for human consumption results in much more greenhouse gas emissions than any other food. And similarly, the production of beef for human consumption uses more water in its production than any other food. And those are two critically rate limiting concerns as, as we look at the environment. And then we could add a third the global appetite for beef is probably the single. Leading driver of diminishing biodiversity. It, it's the principal reason, for example, why the Amazon is being burned down. So, if you factor all that in, the message is really very clear and it's non ideological and it's non dogmatic and it's not a moral imperative. It just says if we're going to be responsible and responsive citizens to the time we live in, less beef.
0: Yes. You know, wh- wherever
1: you are, less is better.
0: And so, I love that you, s- I I think it's important to say less because it doesn't mean you have to completely cut it out. And I think it's meeting people where they are, where they are which is part of your mission and success as well. And so I think we'll talk about the hows in a minute. Um, but the other thing that I think is interesting about this is that It's instead of what, I think, is the very important question. And I'm always thinking, well, what's for lunch, right? And I think ultimately that's what people want to know. Right. And so if they're accustomed to having a roast beef sandwich for lunch or leftover meat from the night before or whatever it may be, well, now what? And so I think I would love to dive into a little bit of those issues because I think the whole instead of what thing gets missing a lot from nutrition recommendations. Oh, cut out carbs, but instead of what? right? Uh, and what are you going to eat instead or whatever? So I think that's critical. So let's dive in a little bit to this notion of how, if you are someone who eats meat, how do you eat less? How do you actually do this? How do you accomplish this?
1: You know, the, the, so I completely agree with you, Ellie, that the, the practical translation of, okay, here's the aspiration. Now, what do I do? Because I'm not used to living this way. Really, really important. Doesn't get enough attention. Good news here. You know, I mean, there's a lot that's bad about the internet age. Uh, you you, you uh, included in your introduction the, the work of the True Health Initiative to combat disinformation and misinformation and fake information about health, which is rampant and social media makes all that worse. But one of the good things about it, of course, is that all of the world's information is at everybody's fingertips all the time. You just have to do the right search. So, you know, lunch alternatives that don't include beef, uh, you know, you, you just put that in the Google search box and you probably have more options than you can read in a lifetime. But there's some really great work in this area. Uh, My last book, How to Eat, I I co-wrote with Mark Bittman. And one of Mark's books before that one was Vegan Before Six. Really cool idea that said, you know, if you're not used to going without meat on a daily basis... It's not going to be that difficult to cut meat out of breakfast. You know, there are all sorts of very familiar options at breakfast that are different. You know, there's muesli and granola and steel cut oats and other grains. And you can learn all sorts of really nutritious alternatives. And of course, fruit works well at breakfast and on and on it goes. Okay. So, you know, you can take meat out of breakfast. You don't need the bacon and the sausage. Helpful, you know, that, that you've, that, that's a step in the right direction. And then similarly at lunchtime, as as you're asking, if you know, if usually that's leftover meat, say from the night before. Well, um, if we're just talking about beef, then obviously you know, canned tuna, canned salmon, um, seafood alternatives, chicken alternatives. That certainly, from the environmental perspective, would be advantageous. Now, I am a proponent of plant-based eating, and we, we can get into that. So you know, I I would argue let's go further and maybe think about bean salads and lentil salads, and you know, learn th- th- these can be purchased pre-made or you can learn how to make them pretty simply at home and now we're talking about getting into recipes and home food prep which you and I will agree has a whole lot of advantages but the disadvantage of you need to know what you're doing right so there's a little bit of skill power building that's required to get there. Um, but then, you know, even things as simple as hummus, which I think is familiar to most people, um, avocado, you, there are different ways you can have vegetables in your refrigerator and slice them and put them on multi-grain bread. And you've got a lunch, uh, and, and, you know, one of the concerns people tend to have is, well, you know, I, I, need to eat meat at every meal because I've got to have protein and that's misguided thinking. Um, I've published on this topic, I think the person who's done the best work here is Christopher Gardner, uh, our friend at Stanford, uh, who has made clear in very meticulous research that, first of all, all of the essential amino acids are available in all plant foods, just at lower concentrations, but he's also looked at average protein intake in the United States relative to need and recommendation, And, and even the typical vegan in the United States gets more daily protein and more of all of the essential amino acids than required to be healthy. So, you know, you really don't need to worry that, oh, gee, you know, I'm going to drop over in the mid-afternoon because, you know, I didn't have meat at lunch. No, you won't. You really won't. So I I think it's a combination of getting past the folklore, empowering people with options. The the other thing I would mention is Susie Cameron um, has done really nice work. One of her books is OMD, um, One Meal Per Day, Go Plant-Based. So, you know, again, you've got people like Mark, who, you know, fantastic um, culinary expert and a great writer uh, and people like Susie, who is you know, very passionate on, on environmental issues, who have collected the, these recipes for you. And Ellie, I'm sure you can name some more. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think there are lots of different great sources, including, no doubt, some of your own work. I, mean, I, I turn routinely to your books for inspiration in the kitchen. And I, I give them to my wife who does more of the cooking. Uh, but I, you know, I, I really don't think there's any shortage of options. I, I think what it requires is a willingness to make the transition to say, you know, I, I like eating beef, but I'm willing to eat less because I look around and I see the current reality. And I wanna be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And to be part of the solution, less is better. So I'm mm-hmm. gonna do less and I'm willing to learn how.
0: I think it starts at the in the shopping cart. Yeah. So literally, I think... So a couple things here. Love your suggestions. I, by the way, have so many plant-based and non-meat lunch options, dinner options in all of my books and free on my website as well. Um, so in the shopping cart, like you say, fish of all kinds, whether it's canned fish like tuna or salmon... Uh, fresh fish, frozen fish. So making sure those things are in your shopping cart because you tend to cook what you buy, (laughs) right? right? So starting there. And one of the things that I notice about people who may stop eating meat or stop eating animal products is that they often don't get necessarily the minerals. It's not so much the protein, but beef. Beef actually gives you quite a bit of iron, magnesium, zinc, these kinds of minerals. And the foods that you really need to eat instead, when we're talking about that, to fill that out, which is not that difficult to do, is beans, nuts, and seeds. Right. Um, So I say get canned beans are like my right-hand food.
1: Yeah, I agree. So
0: you just get some pre-washed greens and you throw some chickpeas on there and make a tahini dressing. And you have a gorgeous, delicious, compelling fast salad that has plenty of protein and plenty of minerals. So it's these kinds of things that you can do starting at your shopping cart, at your shopping list to explore some of these foods, which don't have to be labor intensive. And I think people also have that misconception that any of this is labor intensive, which it absolutely doesn't have to be.
1: There, there's another mis- So all great advice, which is exactly what I expect from you. And yeah, I totally agree. And you gave two very distinct options there. You know, one you could you could get fish and seafood, and um, and, and you want to be careful about sustainability. I think when you're shopping there too. Now, I mean, the simple fact is, I mean, and this isn't our fault. You know, if we'd been born into a world of one billion people, we wouldn't be having these issues. There are just so many Homo sapiens. We're all hungry every day. The impact we have at scale is now earth-changing. We are in the Anthropocene, the age of the influence of humanity on the planet. We all have to accept that reality. But you gave great options that involve fish and seafood, alternatives that were plant-based. Totally agree. I think there's also a tremendous opportunity here to shop the ethnic Diets of the world. I mean, there are many whole cultures that that don't eat nearly as much meat as Americans do, and you know wouldn't dream of eating meat at every meal. You know, maybe it's it's twice a week. Uh, it's generally limited to dinner. So everything they eat all the time, every day for generations, is an alternative to beef, and and it's a delightful opportunity because we're talking about you know some really great cuisines from Asia and parts of Africa and the Middle East, and you know really they're they're lots of tremendously good options. But the other the bit of folklore, Ellie, that I think is in the mix here, and, and you know, by suggesting, you know, greens and throw chickpeas over it, you're addressing this. there's the, the prevailing notion in a lot of talk in our circles, you know, when you, you deal with academics in nutrition, that healthy eating is always more expensive. And I've argued for years, no, not true. It's just, you know, frankly, people don't know how to do the less expensive version of healthy eating. For instance, you Know everybody who complains about the cost of food buys hamburgers and steaks, and they're spending money on Mandeli meats. Those are much, much more expensive than beans and lentils. Beans and lentils are the unbelievable bargain of the food world, you know, arguably among the most nutritious foods in the world, incredibly sustainable, you know, because they're really minimal environmental footprint. And oh, by the way, uh, much less expensive than what they can substitute for. So, you know, if you eat less beef more beans, better for you, better for the planet, and better for your pocketbook. I mean, you know, triple win.
0: Totally. I try not to be evangelical about anything, but I have to say I am a little <laughs> bit evangelical about beans and lentils. Yeah, same here. It, it's really hard not to go there. But,
1: but, but I, think it's, I think it's justified. Yeah, I mean, Dan Buettner is too. Uh, for those who don't know, Dan's the, the author of The Blue Zones, and he, he characterized those for us. And looking at the very diverse diets of these five populations around the world, one of the most salient commonalities is lots of beans and lentils. So Dan tends to preach the same gospel.
0: Yeah. Um, So the other, so we're talking about reducing the number of meals that you have per day or per week with meat in them. Um, And then we're also, another way to do this is to just use less meat, use meat more of as a condiment in a dish. So for example, a stir fry where you're putting a little bit of beef, maybe 2 ounces per person, and each person gets some beef in their dish, but then I have a beautiful recipe where you use edamame and lots of green vegetables and a small bit of meat in there. So that's another way to sort of tackle this if you have, you know, like I do, my husband he's finally coming around to this, but he's, you know, midwestern and had meat grew up having meat at Steak every and meal. Potatoes, yeah. And feels like if I give really until sort of recently felt like if there wasn't meat there then well this is just the side dish you know where's the main and finally he's real com- really coming around to that but doing something like one of his favorite dishes is a bean soup a white bean soup and then you put a little ham in it and he's happy but literally he's probably eating 1 ounce of ham <laughs> it's it's a
1: garnish it's a, it's a great comment for a number of reasons first to be clear if, if we're going to have any meaningful impact on reducing beef intake, it has to be among people who eat beef. I, you know, I think one of the problems in, in the vegan world, and I have many colleagues, dear colleagues, respected colleagues who are, who are ardently um, espousing uh, a vegan diet, a whole food, plant-based diet. And, and you know, frankly, I, I'm very much in that camp. But, you know, you're preaching to your own congregation all the time. Everybody's already, you know, practicing that religion. You know, if all the world's vegans suddenly stopped eating beef, it's the sound of one hand clapping, right? No impact, (laughs) zero. So, you you know, absolutely, the messages here have to be tailored to people who like beef, eat beef. Okay, so how can we accommodate you? And we'll get into some other options too, because it's a whole new day now with plant-based meats. But I completely agree with you, we should be thinking in terms of tactics, because, you know, when, when when you speak tactics, you're saying you can pick what works better for you. For some people, okay, yeah, I love the idea of, Just, you know, I used to eat meat at every meal, but I don't really need it at breakfast and I can do fine at lunch. I'm going to only have it at dinner. Well, you know, you've just potentially reduced your daily meat intake by half or more. And thank you. You're contributing to the global effort to reduce beef intake that's critical for the health of the planet. If you say, you know, I only ever ate meat at dinner, um, but what I'd be willing to do is reduce the portion. And, you know, add in more of A and less of B for beef uh, and just kind of reformulate my recipes a little bit. It's a different tactic, but thank you to you, too, because you're also, you know, essentially joining the team, you know, team Earth and and doing what's necessary for the planet. You know, in terms of the, the, the degree of reduction required, Elliot, it is important people understand the Eat Lancet Commission report on food, people, planet, very scholarly work. Uh, it was commissioned by the, e- the EAT Forum, uh, run by Gunhild Stordalen in Norway, um, but in collaboration with the prestigious Lancet Medical Journal and, and a number of leading scholars were involved, environmental scholars, nutrition scholars like Walter Willett. And their conclusion was that industrialized countries around the world needed to reduce beef intake by something close to 90 percent to stay within environmental boundaries what the earth could tolerate for this to be sustainable because after all you could say well eat as much beef as you want now and then the next generation will starve well those are our kids that's just you know that's just not acceptable we, we have to be looking generations ahead our kids our grandkids and you know and and then what follows and and so with a rising population in particular th- those reductions are pretty steep and what that says to us, I think, is that anybody who's a concerned citizen of the world, anybody who wants our kids and grandkids to have a world that is at least as vital as the one we have now, needs to sign up for this. And then the question becomes, what am I willing to do? How much am I willing to do? And what way of doing it, what way of making a contribution works best for me? And I completely agree with you. For some people, it would be, yeah, I can be plant-based one meal a day. For Some people will be vegan before six. And for others, it's, I can reduce the relative proportion of the meat in a meal and make a, you know, a plant slant one meal at a time. Uh, And I'm not going to give it up entirely, but I'm still helping this global effort to make the planet vital. Count me in.
0: And if the planetary health is not enough motivation, (laughs) which it should be, it's linked to our personal health, but the immediate impact on your own personal health is there too. Because when you substitute beef for Beans, lentils, seeds, nuts, you are getting a ton of minerals. You're getting a ton of fiber. You're getting a ton of health promoting antioxidants. You're, get, you're benefiting your gut biome. You are your microbiome, your gut health. You are doing so much for your own personal health in that window. So there's that immediate benefit, with the larger benefit of planetary health on top of <laughs> it. So what is not what's what, not to what's like? What's not to like
1: exactly. <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're preaching from my playbook here. So I, your audience may not fully understand that you know I'm I'm actually I'm a physician. I, you know, I've taken care of patients for 30. I'm sounding like an environmentalist. You know, that's just because I I, I am deeply concerned about what's happening to the planet. I, this is one of my favorite planets. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really would like to take good care of it. I mean, I just can't imagine a future without an Amazon rainforest. I, you know, the, the extinctions that are coming so fast. I mean, it, it's just deeply disturbing. Um, I love nature, I, you know, all this. So, uh, you know, I sound like an environmentalist and I think that's okay. I, I routinely tell colleagues when I'm at the podium, uh, I was before the pandemic, I presumably will be, I, these days it's, it's via Zoom, but you know, what, by whatever forum I, I tell colleagues, you know, in 2021, you are no longer entitled to call yourself a health professional, unless you include advocacy frequently and ferociously for the health of the planet, because there are no healthy people on a ruined, uninhabitable planet. It's just that yeah. simple. But to be clear, I'm a physician. I'm an internist, a preventive medicine specialist. So you're absolutely right. And, and again, you and I both steer clear of dogma and ideology. When we tell you that your health will be better if you eat less beef, it's not because beef is evil. It's because our diets are animal food excessive. And imbalance is bad for human health. The, you know, if you were to pick the one word that best defines eating well or doing anything well, it's balanced. You want to be in balance with your native adaptations. So for example, lions are in balance with their native adaptations when they only eat meat. They are obligate carnivores. And my horse Troubadour is in balance with his uh, adaptations when he eats oats and grass and hay and never needs to see a piece of meat. We're omnivores, we have choices. But the native human diet was very rich in a wide variety of plants and all these minerals and, and micronutrients you're talking about, and antioxidants and fiber, we're adapted to a very high intake of that and the modern diet doesn't provide it. So if you move in that direction, you're moving in the direction of our native balance. That's always a good thing. And I think it's really important, and you did a beautiful job of, of characterizing this, that eating less beef is not just about what you're taking out of your diet but you know if you have a certain number of calories that's all the energy you need every day if a certain amount of that is made up of beef and you shrink that you're making room for well yeah you could put in jelly beans that would be a bad idea but if you put in beans lentils more vegetables nuts seeds everything you're adding is bringing you in the direction of a healthy balance everything you're adding is contributing a wealth of nutrients and to be clear I think it's it's really important people understand this. A, objective measures of diet quality are available and they robustly track with the risk of premature death from just about everything and the risk of total chronic disease. So all these shifts we're talking about absolutely bring the promise of reducing your risk of all the bad stuff we don't want to have happen to us. But the magnitude of the benefit is incredible. We also have evidence spanning 30 years if you optimize diet and do a couple other things right, like don't smoke and and make physical activity part of your daily routine, your lifetime risk of any major chronic disease can be reduced by a stunning eighty percent. That's incredible. You know, in our culture, yeah, you mentioned your husband, meat and potatoes. But you know, in in the sort of meat and potatoes and now sadly ultra processed food American culture. It's also part of our culture that, you know, if you're a guy in your 40s or 50s, you've either had angioplasty or coronary bypass. It's just a given. You know, if, if you're someone in your 40s or 50s, you're on a bunch of meds for your high blood pressure, and your high, cl- I mean, it's, it's almost a rite of passage. It's a given. It is not necessary. You, that, that doesn't have to happen to you. You can be vital for decades, Uh, You know, again, we, we're all entitled to the blue zone blessings, you know, long life of vitality, live long, prosper with vitality. And then ultimately in the fullness of time, go gentle into that good night by checking out in your sleep instead of full of tubes in the ICU. I mean, it is possible and eating optimally is arguably the single most potent thing you can do to advance towards those blue zone blessings. At this time, Ellen, you know this, um, diet is the single leading predictor variable for all-cause mortality and total chronic disease risk in the United States. There was a great op-ed in the New York Times, August 26, 2019, entitled, Our Food is Killing Too Many of Us. Darius Mozafarian, Dean of Nutrition at Tufts, and Dan Glickman, former Secretary of Agriculture of the United States. And they cite the primary literature, mostly something called the Global Burden of Disease Study, indicating that diet, poor diet quality, And we're not talking about hunger or not having enough food or even food insecurity, just basically, you know, (laughs) ultra processed junk where food ought to be and an excess of animal food where more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds ought to be all that single leading predictor variable for premature death in the modern world. And final comment relevant during the pandemic too. There was actually a recent study uh, I suspect you saw in the BMJ gut. Looking at objective measures of diet quality and COVID outcomes, and highlighting the fact that higher diet quality, other things being equal. So, if you match for BMI and health status, higher diet quality, better COVID outcomes, less risk of hospitalization, less death, lower diet quality, higher risk of hospitalization, death. So, yes, amen. You're absolutely right. Massive impact on your personal health. And oh, by the way, really important for the planet, too.
0: And um, I love that it can all be done so darn deliciously which um, I really like to focus on as well, because this isn't like some type of medicinal thing you have to force upon yourself. This is about eating glorious food, exploring different cultural takes on things, spices and so on, which we talk about. In other episodes of this uh, podcast as well. And I appreciate so much, Dr. Katz, that you clarified that when we're talking about substituting beans, we're not talking about jelly beans, folks. <laughs> so we're talking about legumes <laughs> and pulses. Um, and, and, and there are lots of great
1: beans to choose from. I, I'm a real fan. I, I, I like Gigante beans, those are delicious. Oh, These yeah. Are those, those are one of my favorites. Oh. But yeah, yeah some, yes. But not jelly beans. Jelly be. beans. No.
0: And you mentioned
1: <laughs> nuts and seeds. And we should be very careful that nuts does not include doughnuts.
0: <laughs> Every once in a while, of course, but not as the substitute for meat. So um, so thank you so much for being here, for enlightening us. I think we all understand now why this is such an important change to swap out beef most of the time. We have an inkling of how to do it. We have some real suggestions, and I think we're all going to be inspired to do it. So thank you so much, Dr. Katz, for being here. Thank
1: you, Ellie. A great pleasure. Thank you for everything you do.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to swap out beef and explore more beans after this helpful conversation. Go to EllieCreaker.com to learn more about Dr. Katz and get links to delicious, easy, meatless recipes. And join me next time for another one real good thing.